Welcome to Behind the Product, a podcast by SEP, where we believe it takes more than a great idea to make a great product. We've been around for over 30 years, building software that matters more, and we've set out to explore the people, practices, and philosophies to try and capture what's behind great software products. So join us on this journey of conversation with the folks that bring ideas to life. everybody. Welcome to Behind the Product. As always, I'm Zach Darnell, your host. And joining me for this show, Ryan Shoddy. How you doing, brother? Pretty good, Zach. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. So, Ryan, you and I sat down with Stephanie Ragazzino over at One Cause a little bit ago and had a kind of a fascinating conversation on her journey and then her views and kind of thinking around product management. And the the very first thing she dove into was kind of her start in product management. And I found that to be uh, really similar to uh, actually a previous show with Eric Prue over at PackSafe. Yeah. She was in a, you know, this customer service role and um, providing a lot of feedback back to the dev team. And then finally being asked to, okay, look, you need to, you need to just go ahead and step into this kind of this role of product. And it was, you know, kind of back before, I feel like product management was written about so much and had conferences dedicated to it. Yeah. And it seems like really only in the last few years where this has really become a, a really big topic. I wonder if that means that type of getting thrown into the deep end start is for now at least more norm than the exception. Oh, yeah. There's That's no, a good point, right? No direct path to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, prior to, I don't know, this is a gut feeling, but maybe five years ago, I'm probably wrong here. There was no like way to be classically trained uh, as a as a product manager. Um, it, you know, yeah, exactly. you just kind of had to figure it out. It's almost like you don't choose product management; product management chooses you. Ooh, wise words, wise words, my friend. Um, you know the, the the kind of early on in that conversation too. I feel like um, speaking of words, Stephanie was. You know, she doesn't mind the word pivot, but she prefers the terminology of evolution when it comes to product uh, evolution ongoing over time. And I feel like pivoting is this, I don't know, common buzzword. And I thought that her take on that was really interesting, this idea that products should evolve to address market, client, business feedback, whatever it might, whatever it might be to continue to carry the company forward and serve a need. I don't know. What'd you think about that? I don't know. I... Just at kind of at a meta level, I thought the conversation was fascinating because how often do we, um, certainly at SEP at least, get into the uh, discussion over over which word to use in a certain situation and what a word means. Yeah. You know, words words matter, right? Um, but I, I really enjoyed her nuance um, that she brought to it. Uh, definitely gave me some things to think about and, um, you know, pivot, evolution, um, whatever. But the, the discussion was uh, pretty fascinating. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she, uh, you know, quickly from a primo went over, not quickly, but over time went to perk and right at that inflection point of switching from being a service business to more of a product company and just very quickly, you know, within the span of just a few years was, um, you know, really offering this platform as a service 
uh, to these new markets that they were diving into. And you know, she, she called them mini evolutions within the larger evolution. Uh, and I love that she talked about bets. You know, I know that, you know, we talk about bets inside of SCP. It's not necessarily an original term, but um, this idea of making small bets and big bets based on risk tolerance and the things that we know, the things that we assume. Uh, so I love to hear other people using that same methodology. I know you've spent a little bit more time than I have kind of in that world. You know, what was your take there? Well, I, you know, I kind of really like that continuation from evolution to bets. Um, I think it was right in line with, you know, like you said, pivot, it feels like a big, a big thing and mm-hmm. evolution kind of takes the edge off that a little bit. And then you start breaking that down into, to bets. And then you start thinking about the bets. Are they big ones? Are they small ones? What's on the line? What's the risk? What's the quantification? It just shows how deliberate, um, that, that she was in the, in the approach to the, the evolution um, and start breaking it down into smaller pieces, just like we, just like we tackle any other piece of work. Yeah. I, I love, I, I might start to add some of this into my own language, to be honest with you, because I, I think you're right. Pivot feels to some people like this big change evolution can seem a little bit softer, like, Oh yeah, we can, we can change a little bit over here, change a little bit over there. And it doesn't feel so massive. Yeah. Um, maybe that can help to get more people on board or help influence, um, you know, people within an organization yeah. or a client, uh, client base, whatever it might be. Yeah. It might come down. I, to I, I really like that. Might come down to how you're trying to frame it. Right. Like sometimes there yeah. is the time and place for like the big event, right. You want it to seem mm. all the pomp and circumstance and, and, uh, you know, the talking points and everything. And then it is a big pivot. Um, you know, maybe it's, um, a lot of times it comes down to what you're trying to accomplish. That's a good point. So, you know, the last thing that we really talked about was, you know, the last six months at One Cause, uh, which is a, a product company here that serves mostly the nonprofit space. And in the midst of uh, this yeah. pandemic, nonprofits have had to shift or evolve very, very quickly. Yeah. And your wife is actually on the board of a nonprofit, right? Yeah, that's why I was really looking forward to this conversation and had a, had a good time in the conversation. My wife is on the board of a nonprofit. And so I, you know, going through this pandemic, I, I sort of secondhand got to see the process that they went through of like, what's yeah. happening to us and what are we going to do with our donors? And what about all of our in-person events and how are we going to try not to say pivot, but there was some pivoting, you know, <laughs> and, um, yeah. you know, so I saw all of that happening from, from one side of the coin. And then in our conversation, um, you'll hear that, you know, we got to dig into it and, and hearing what, what they went through on the, on their side was just, I don't know, it was fascinating to me. It was a, it was a great conversation. Well, I think without further ado, Ryan, let's just uh, dive into the show. We hope you enjoy it. And thank you so much for joining me for this one, brother. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Had a blast, Zach. Hey, welcome to the show. Ryan, thank you for being my co-host on this one. I appreciate you. Happy to be here, Zach. And we've got Stephanie Ragazzino joining us for this show. And I know that I've got the last name right because we just had a false start and I said it right that time. So thank you for being here with us. Thanks for having me, Zach. Super happy to be here. So kick us off here. Would you mind catching me up, kind of going back to where you got your start, a little bit of your journey and where you are now? Absolutely. Would love to. So let's see. So I'm a 
I'm a born and raised Hoosier. Uh, so um, got my degrees in computer science and math from Purdue. So uh, choo choo. Um, and uh, let's see, I got my start at a primo. Um, so coming out um, of school and I knew that I loved to work with technology, but I really enjoyed working with customers. So I did some really great consulting. That's kind of where I got my start. Um, got to travel all over the country and help customers um, with technical solutions with our software, which was really fun. Wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, but my husband was also traveling. We never saw each other. So we decided that we had to find a different way in order to actually see each other through the week. Um, so I moved into the customer care organization um, continuing to help customers and kind of uh, cut my teeth in management there, which was great. Um, but I really, you know, went back to my roots and wanted to build things. And so um, it was, you know, it was probably six years into my career and uh, the head of product at the time at, at a Primo, um, I always would tell him what customers were saying and what we could do to make the product better. And one day he said to me, um, that's it, you're done. And I was like, oh, this is going to be bad. This is going to be really bad. And uh, he says, I'm done with you in customer support. It's time for you to come over and fix all these problems that you know. And so that's how I got my, my start in product management. Um, so, nice. Yeah. So, um, so I spent, you know, a total of about 14 years at a Primo building some really awesome products, uh, definitely evolved the product over time and really, um, really proud of what we built there, um, which was a market leading, you know, market defining uh, yeah. product. Um, so, um, you know, then after that, I joined two co-founders at Perk who created um, some really successful services companies um, doing direct mail and, and print, um, but really wanted to get into um, a digital software company. And so right. joined, joined them in order to really figure out how do we take um, their expertise and their customer set and turn that into a software solution it was a great ride. Um, so we, we, we built some amazing software and they're continuing to do that. Um, but then six months ago, I got an opportunity in order to join one cause and one cause is for those of you who don't know, we make um, fundraising software, um, which um, has been around the company has been around for um, over 10 years and has a great history. Um, and they're really in the middle of, you know, one of their evolutions of, of moving from, you know, best of breed fundraising um, solutions to a fundraising platform. And so that's what I'm there to help them do. That's awesome. You've, uh, you've worked at some of the mo like most fun companies around town, I feel like. I know a Primo pretty well. I know Perk through you. You've had I some tell fun you stuff. I've been very fortunate to have work families, not just a workplace. Uh, so I, I'm very, very lucky in that regard. I love that. I've, I feel a lot, of, a lot of the same way around some of the companies I've worked for. And I feel like that's pretty common, I feel like, in our indie tech community. It's, uh, it's a, I think, a testament to being a Hoosier. Absolutely. So hold on. I didn't know this about you. I didn't know that you were a CS and math major in college. I was, yes. Have you have you actually had your hand on keyboard before developing oh. some product? Oh yes, oh yes, I did. So when I was at a Primo, um, I wanted to learn the technology. We were actually doing a a code migration from one platform to the next, and I said I really want to know how this works. So I spent my nights and weekends actually being a temporary dev member so that I could learn uh, learn the new product. But I have to say, many years ago, they told me that I'm better at talking 
than I am at coding. Yep. So, and that's okay. I actually, uh, I'm okay with that. So I appreciate that, that there's people that are much better coders than I am. So, but I do, I do know enough to be dangerous um, on yep. the technical side of things. So, yeah. You're in good company. Uh, every time my team asks if I'd like to learn something, I say, don't let me near a code base. I will screw it up. And they tell me I'm great at talking too. So that's why we're here on this podcast together. <laughs> <Sounds good. laughs> All right. So I want to dive into Perk a little bit. Um, and we were talking a little bit before we started the show around pivoting and you don't like the word pivot. You think of it differently. I do. Well, I mean, I, I love you know, I love the word pivot. I think that it's sure. important, but I think that whenever it's in the context of where software companies are going, right? We we have an idea of where we're going. Like we have a destination in mind. And but very rarely do you do you go in a straight path to that destination. So for sure. me, it's kind of like a winding road. And so it's in more of an evolution of how you're getting to your to your end goal instead of an actual pivot. So very rarely in my career has it been, you know, you know, you need to completely turn around and go the other way, which is what I would call a pivot. So instead, a lot of times I'll, I'll use it's kind of a, an evolution or a winding, uh, a winding road um, in order to get mm -hmm. to, to where we're going. Okay, that's fair. I appreciate or, you know, the way I bowl with the, the bumpers pulled in. <laughs> exactly <lane>. right. <laughs> Eventually hits at least one pin. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so Perk, you know, many years into their uh, uh, existence as a company, decided we're not going to do this services anymore, the services game anymore. We really want to become a tech company. We want to build products. And then you joined the organization around that same time, yeah? Yes. Um, what was the first product that you guys built? I know you guys effectively built four or five over the over the course of a few years. Yeah, so um, so let me start with the vision as to why I started. Um, Ooh, okay. So yeah, so Scott Hill, who is an amazing entrepreneur, kind of wrote what I call the manifesto of here's where uh, we want to be from a vision and a strategy perspective. And it was all about fun and engaging ways for consumers um, to to engage with the business and is willing to give you know information, um, but in a fun in a fun way. It's all about taking care of the business as well as taking care of the consumer player. There was, there was this double, double thing. So the, we had a consumer facing brand called Fatwood and it was because you, you, we needed to, you know, you, we wanted to be able to have a big win uh, game mm -hmm. um, for the consumer yet taking care of, you know, leads and things that the business can follow up on in order to be able to, you know, make revenue. Um, and so that's, that's really the, the vision that Scott had, which was, awesome and amazing. And um, so I was like, yes, I have had experience on the B2B side of things. I didn't have experience on the, the consumer side of things. And I said, sign me up. I can't wait to get to do both of those things. And so that's kind of why I went to join Perk. Um, and we started building that. Okay, so we released our first product, um, which was um, more of an instant win type of a game. So as a as a consumer, I could go in and I could spin a wheel and, you know, and win a prize and get an, and get an instant prize. And, you know, by providing a little bit of information about myself, which then, you know, goes to the business that I could win a prize and it was a win-win, um, a fat win, um, you might nice. say, um, um, in that. So it was, it was great, um, worked great. Um, but you know, it was, 
it was not necessarily where the market was going because some people saw it as too gamey, too, too, you know, a little bit too cheesy mm, and sure. wanted something more reliable. So I would say that's kind of whenever we started our first evolution, our first winding road. And instead of it being, you know, gamey, we did assessments because everyone loves to hear about, or, you know, to tell you something and find out something about yourself. Right. So oh, you yeah. know, Zach, Zach what, what Disney princess are you? Right. Um, and so we went down Elsa, that path. All day. <laughs> so uh, I, I can see it with the hair, um, but, uh -huh. um, but, you know, we went down kind of an assessment type of a path, right. Which is like, you know, tell us a few things about yourself and then, you know, we can give you an answer of more of a rules-based assessment engine. And so it was still a win. You still got something in return, but it wasn't the game side of things um, mm -hmm. that we were kind of going down. And that was like the, the beginning of our, of our evolution um, into, into multiple, multiple different path products. And then, um, you continue to dive into new verticals, if I remember correctly, right? Absolutely. So you know, we, we, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. You tell me. I, I'm I have it through hearsay, not through you know direct <laughs> words. Here, you go for it. Absolutely. So we started out in the automotive industry because that was where a lot of our services business had been. Uh, we actually didn't go after the same customer base that we had. We started completely separate because we wanted to we wanted to know that we could make it, um, you know, by by ourselves. Yeah. Uh, without having to rely on that existing relationship and existing customer base. Um, so that that went great. Um, and then we also realized that we needed to own, you know, to be able to be on the website and to be able to control what, what we're putting in front of people at the right time in order to be able to engage. And so we went down that path. And once we were having success in automotive, we're like, this isn't the only business that needs this, right? So we wanted to be able to take this technology and we went into the home furnishings market was our was our next market. And it was uh, it wasn't I would like to say it was planned. It wasn't planned. Um, it was, you know, someone, you know, came to us, a, a friend of a friend saying, hey, you know, we have this challenge. Can you help us with it? You know, we want to be able to do some um, some of the things that you're doing on your automotive website on our home furnishing website. And so that's kind of how we got started in home furnishings. Um, worked really well because again we're all consumers we're all shoppers and so no matter what what website we're on um, you know uh, we need engagement tools um, in order to be able to do so we kind of evolved into the home furnishing space um, you know very naturally and then we said hey this is working really well let's go and hire a team in order to go into this market um, so we did did super well there and um, but then I would say our next one was more intentional our next market was definitely more intentional. And it was like, okay, so these markets are great. Um, they're, they're definitely smaller markets. Um, but we want something that, you know, we can grow um, that has a bigger addressable market. And so we did some research, we looked at a whole bunch of different uh, additional markets. And the one thing that that you know, is whenever you move into a, um, a place, you usually get a car, and you get uh, you get furniture to go into your place. So a natural place in order to go is in um, multifamily. So, um, so well, no, that the, makes sense. Even so the though they're new markets, they're complementary. They're complementary, yeah. So uh, like the, the the bowling pin strategy, right? So um, yeah. again, we were going after the same shopper, the same consumer, um, all throughout the time. Uh, that's genius. When you were talking earlier about. Um, you know, that's not the way the market was going with uh, the spinning the wheel and everything. What mm -hmm. kind of 
kind of tools were you using um, to determine, help you figure out where the market was going? Was that some intuition research or was it also tied into the technology uh, feeding you results coming back? Yeah, great question. Uh, we uh, we did a couple different things. Uh, we hired, um, we kind of would put things out there and we could actually get people from all over the world and we would say, okay, you know, somebody who's in the, in the market for a new car, um, you know, and we would put up a use case out there and kind of put a solution out there and get feedback from them on it. And we could get real time, we could watch what they were doing and we could listen to what they were saying. They were on a recording and they could say, why am I doing this? This doesn't make any sense. Um, so that was great because it was very deep um you know deep feedback on that because we had to we couldn't guide them through it we had to just listen to them go through now a lot of times we got feedback on how bad the site was it had nothing to do with our product whatsoever you know um or (laughs) or it stinks to buy a car and we're like we understand but you know we're trying to make this better but um but no that was um that we we did we did use that um and then we also used um hot jar um so uh, i don't know if you've heard of hot jar but um I'm not familiar with Hotjar. I've never heard that one. Is it um, like uh, is it like co-browsing uh, or it's, analytics? It's, it basically creates a little video of um, of what a user did, um, and so that oh, you yeah. can see yeah, yeah. Uh, see what, what they did. So we could put that in a couple times in order to see where we were losing them or what they were doing. Um, but then we also get looked at metrics. So those would be the three things. Um, so I could see how many times that they actually landed on this particular thing and how many times they exited out of it, how many times that they actually went through it, or how many times they got to a certain point in the game and then they just bailed. Um, because that's what we really wanted to know. Yeah. Um, we learned we learned a lot of things like what we call the splash page. I don't know if that makes any sense mm-hmm. to you, but it would be like basically a welcome, a get started. Um, it yep. sounds great because you educate the user. It actually kills, uh, like for us, it killed our conversion. So we took that off. That. Mm-hmm. Just creating a higher level of friction for the user. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, um, that kind of raises an interesting question. Okay, the the games aren't working. How did you land on assessments? Where did that idea come from? If you remember, because that was probably pre Buzzfeed, right? Uh, let's see. Yeah, this uh, was, yeah, yeah. It was a well, It was definitely before all of the fun stuff that you can do with Instagram and everything else now. What are all the you know like all those little things where they have a uh-huh. little picture? It was definitely before all of that, um, where it's giving you um, what your answer is. Um, you know, a, a lot of our uh, our crazy harebrained ideas of what consumers want came from Scott Hill. He, he's just, uh, he's yeah. very he's very much an entrepreneur mind and of like, you know, people, sure. he, he definitely is, people love, um, love to talk about themselves and love to learn things about themselves. And that was, that was definitely, um, I would say all about him, so. Guilty as charged. <laughs> I, I am an assessment junkie and I have two podcasts, so. Uh, yeah, I'd say you hit the mark. <laughs> I love it. So, um, you know, I'm thinking about the 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 journey of Perk and, you know, switching from services to being a product company and even then having these mini evolutions, these winding roads. Um, what do you feel like in, most influenced the left turn, the right turn, the curves and the arcs? You know, you, you've got quantitative data, you've got qualitative data, harebrained ideas that end up, you know, being good ones. How did that all work on a, like, I'm thinking, I'm just wondering on a day-to-day basis at at Perk, every company's a little different, every team's a little different, you know, what made that magic sauce work in your opinion? 
You know, I think that for us, it was a combination of uh, big bets and small bets is probably how I would say it, right? And so we were willing to make, um, you know, small bets to feel good to make a big bet is, and that's probably how it worked. Um, and uh, inside our product engineering teams, we had what we called quarterly releases. Okay, mm -hmm. that's kind of how we targeted things. And we, we deployed code all the time, but it was about how we got ready for the rest of the company and how we would commit to the company as to what we were gonna go and do. And so we would agree as an executive team, like we're gonna make these small bets because this is what we think that we're gonna go and do. And we would have backing. I, I would have backing from product marketing, from sales, where, you know, in order to make that small bet and defeat, we would have goals inside of it. Mm -hmm. And then we would say, okay, this small bet is working. Now we feel comfortable making the bigger bet in the next quarter or something staying pretty agile um, in that and that side of things. But I think that's how it worked is, is that we made a lot of small bets. Not every small bet turned out, um, but it's that tough balance of finding like setting a goal, waiting for how long you're um, willing to wait until you hit that goal to figure out if that small bet is going to work or not. I can tell you that um, our first bet um, in, in automotive, we went uh, down a, a, one of our small bets was doing a, a trade uh, value, your trade calculator. So when you're going to trade in your car, doing an integration mm -hmm. uh, with KBB and NADA in order to tell you how much your vehicles worth. And so we put that out there um, as a small bet. And, you know, we, we said, hey, you know, we're going to see kind of how we do for the first 10 customers and how the sales go. And we were about ready to cut that off. And it was like, you know, we were only seeing about seven or eight customers and it was, it was really close. And we, we really just needed two more weeks. And after that two more weeks, then everything broke through. And so it's kind of finding that time of even oh. though you have a metric and giving it enough time, like when's enough time, but not too much time. And sure. uh, so, so, yeah, but I think that that's kind of how it works is the small bets that then we felt comfortable making a big bet. Well, I love the idea that you're kind of alluding to this, I think of, okay, we said that we were going to put the boundaries here, here are the goalposts, but you got close to it. And it's like, ah, let's reevaluate those goalposts a little bit. So not being so held to that original decision, being willing to reevaluate at a later time and having new information to, to then influence the goalposts again, and not being so stringent on that, having that balance. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I love that. Um, after this, we're going to have to talk about some experimentation here because I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. the line, Zach, between like objective and subjective. Right? Uh -huh. so people see the moving of the goalpost as a, like starting to turn something that felt objective into pretty subjective. And I imagine there's a lot of good conversation like in those moments to, uh, to tease that apart. Oh, yeah. Because I, I, I don't know that you could. I mean, Stephanie, you, you probably had hundreds of those kinds of conversations uh, during your, during that time, I would imagine you probably can't succinctly say, here's the recipe for how you determine. All right. So let's switch gears. Let's talk about one cause. You've been there for six or seven months, I think you said. Six. Yeah, six, just months. six months. And you joined at an interesting time. Uh, probably just <laughs> enough time to... Uh, start to get a plan put together and then in comes pandemic. Uh, I would imagine that caused you to think through some evolutions just a little bit. Yes. Uh, 
uh, maybe broadly high level, what's that? What has that been like the last Absolutely. three or four months? Uh, it is, uh, it has been interesting. It has been exhausting. It has been fun. It has been all of those words combined. I don't know what, I don't know what, how else to describe it, but yeah. So a little, a little background, um, one cause has been working on a, um, a fundraising platform, um, this mm -hmm. technology stack, um, for a little while now. And it's, um, it's great. It, it's, it's a wonderful foundation to build product on top of. Uh, oh, yeah. wonderful technical foundation. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that we really want to do is take all of the know-how of our customers, of our 4,000 plus customers, and uh, what their primary use cases are and bring it into this fundraising platform that we've been building. And so that was what I was hired to do. Super excited about it. Um, you know, I was like, okay, I, I can do this. And so I came in, guns blazing, you know, I was like, we can do this. And um, I like to put together what are called like um, value bundles of like mm -hmm. here. Um, that, that's what I call them, which is like a series of problems that we're trying to solve, one or two problems that we're trying to solve um, and, and kind of wrap around how we're going to get that done. And so sure. we, I, ca I came in um, at the middle of January and we had our first little value bundle. We released it um, and its value bundle was all around selling tickets to events. And so we were so excited. I was like, it was so exciting because the team did an amazing job. They, they rallied, they built this really cool functionality. It released, um, right. It was planning on releasing right at the end of March. Oof. And so, so here, so here we are now getting ready for our next value bundle. So here we are at the beginning of March and we're like, okay, what are we going to do for our next value bundle? And so we're like, okay, we're going to keep going with this. Everybody wants it. It's going to be great. You know? And so we roll out all this functionality that we're going to go do in the next value bundle, which was to start in April. And I remember it vividly. We just rolled out everything to the team. Like, here's what we're going to go and do. And then I, I remember, uh, I remember calling Steve Johns and saying, I can't do any of this. Like, I can't, oh. th this is not, this is not what, this is not what we actually need to do right now. Nonprofits, their world is completely turning upside down. They can't have these in-person events and the same tools that we've been building are not gonna work for them. And we need to completely reimagine, they're reimagining their world, how to do an event. We need to help them by reimagining what we do in order to help them reimagine their event. Um, and so that was that was really a moment of like, I probably had a, a poor me, you know, like a poor, sad, poor, pitiful me moment. Um, hopefully I would say that it only lasted a very small amount of time. And then I was like, okay, my job i'm here for a reason i'm here to to fix this and that's what we're going to do so i started i rolled a whiteboard out of my office whenever we all couldn't go back into the office anymore and because i'm a whiteboard person and i rolled it into my office in my house thank goodness um because i just started white i just started whiteboarding and, and drawing i am not i'm not good at drawing at all uh, singing and drawing those are two things that i can't do to save my life but it was enough. I could draw enough of like a little bit to uh, to get other people involved to start to say, what if it looks something like this? And then that's when they took it and then just made it something absolutely special, you know, uh, which was which was really cool. So it was uh, March 23rd is the date that all of this went down. And I had a whiteboard image on the back and we met, I met with the executive management team. And I said, here's what I think we need to do and why. And they're like, <sighs> And they're like, we understand, but, and, um, so, uh, so we, we all agreed that we were going to go and do it. And we formed a, um, 
uh, a strike team, what I call a strike team. We actually, uh, we named the team ephemeral temporary um, because they were just going to be this temporary strike team. And we named the project Marauder. Um, so Star Wars themed for mm -hmm. it's a, a tiny but mighty ship with a lot of firepower on it. Um, in order to come in, it could never win a battle by itself, but it could come in and, and surely do a lot of damage. So, um, so we, we kind of formed this, this team in order to go from a whiteboard to a functioning prototype in five weeks, a, a functioning product in five weeks. So we could never have done it with all of the, without the foundation that had been built on this technical infrastructure over the past, you know, year plus. And so we took all of that and we were able to build on top of that. Um, and, and we went, um, we went and started talking to customers and everyone's like, yes, this is what we need. Yes, this is what we need. Like, um, and cause we were all going through this change together. It was, yeah. it was so, it was so amazing. And I can't even tell you how many times, um, I had a customer conversation they're like, thank you. Thank you for building this for me, like, I feel like you were in my shoes and you knew what I was going through and you're building something that I need. And as a product manager, it doesn't get any better than that. So uh, that that's just the best validation that you can get. So, um, so yeah, so we started this on March 23rd. On June 11th, we had our first mock event inside One Cause, all virtual. Yeah. Uh, so we did, we did a full virtual event. Um, so for those of you who don't know One Cause, um, they are um, an amazing, fun group that has a passion for helping others. So we picked um, a charity here in town, Second Helping, mm -hmm. and raised and raised real money um, for for them. Raised over twenty five hundred dollars from within One Cause people, um, and while awesome. um, participating in this event. Um, so that was that was really cool. And then just last night we had our second mock event. Oh, wow. um and yeah just last night and uh, where we ran the first live auction all virtual um uh, so we were able to oh, do wow. an auction off real items so this it's been it's been quite a journey right so um that that was four months ago right yeah yeah um four, four months ago we went from um you know we were where you know the product was really good at doing in-person events and selling tickets to to providing a full virtual solution of everything from a silent auction to a live auction to donating online. Um, so it's pretty, it's been a, it's been an absolutely amazing journey. I was, I was wow. really looking forward to, to hearing like, like in particular, what were March and April? Like my, um, my wife is on the board of a, of a small charity locally, and that's the time frame that they were going through the whole, you know, they've grown to have four in-person events, all with auctions uh, over the years. And what are we going to do about those? And is there other ways that we can, you know, look to, you know, to our supporters to help us in our cause? Is it even the right thing to be doing this year when people might be in economic distress? And like all of those questions that they were trying to, to figure out and answer. And so, you know, before when you were talking about evolutions, I think a lot of times you're probably trying to evolve to a market that is there and maybe a little more static, but here's a situation where everything's in flux all at the same time. You're trying to evolve, not pivot. And, uh, and they're trying to evolve all at the same time. Um, that just, that's, that has to be, that has to be pretty rare and, uh, crazy and hectic. 
It, it was, but I have to say, um, our customers were amazing during all this. So um, I, I, I probably have had over 50 customer conversations in the last four months um, and just validating because we had to build before we had market validation, which is, as you guys know, never anything that you want to do, right? Because you're right, Ryan, the market's evolving, right? So like, they don't really know what they need or what they want. They just know that they're in trouble, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's and it's, just, it's an assumption until they tell you, yes, we're going to use this, and here's money. It's it's exactly right. So, um, so for 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 me, it was those customer conversations that really allowed us to kind of stay inside your bumper rails, Zach. Mm. You know, like as we were going <laughs> through, just to make sure that we didn't get too far out because we had to innovate for them, but they didn't know what to ask for. They did they didn't yeah. know what they didn't even really know what their primary business problems were. So we kind of defined it for them. We said. We think that your business problems are you need to take care of your donor base. You need to educate them about your cause. You need to make it fun and interactive. And it, it has to be something that they want to go and and feel because you're not going to actually have their undivided attention in the ballroom. And then they can't all be in person. We, we really had no idea in March how long this was going to go on, right? We were all told like, when I went in to get my kids school, yeah, yeah, they're like, well, we'll be gone for two weeks or, you know, whatever it might be. So I think we had no idea back then how long that this was actually going to last. And so our initial thing was like where everyone couldn't be all together at the same time. And now we know, right, um, a lot of that turned 100 percent virtual. <laughs> right. um, uh, but, yeah, we kind of put together that that strategic mission and vision for them. And they're like, yes, this is what this is what we're going to do. Um, and we also inside one cause, we have a lot of experience doing events. Our um, our employees have done this for a very long time. And so they're like, well, what if we tried this or what if we did this or what if we did this? And so at the same time, they're working with customers that are trying to well, when our product's not done yet. They're working with our existing product and trying to get customers to help them with that. So they're feeding us all that information. Of like we're doing this and this is working and we're doing this and this is working um so yeah it was um, it was a crazy ride so it might sounds like you might even land in a spot where on the other side of this whenever that is that uh you're in a position that makes it easier for your customer base to hold events you know if you can do them virtually and maybe more frequent through the year and so i guess there are some silver linings uh you know in addition you know, it, it absolutely is. So like Zach said early on is, is that we were going through this transition um, and it was a slow transition in trying to get nonprofits who were reliant on these one to two to three big events a year in order to say, you know, really, you can fundraise throughout the entire year. It doesn't have to be those, you know, those couple events, right? You can do something fun for a small group of people. You can do something fun for a big group of people. Like it doesn't have to be just these um, these big events. So we have been, you know, trying to educate, and it's just a, it's been a bit, been a very slow adoption. Um, but this, I, I can't even tell you how many conversations that I had of people saying, um, you know, I I'm going to have an event, but but I'm not going to assume that it's going to happen. I have to make my my revenue in other ways, and so this has definitely accelerated their thinking yeah. of year round fundraising. But they still want and love these events because they need that donor connection so important in nonprofits is those they want people to feel connected and appreciated and all of all the supporters to feel that way. And so um, so I think that that's where it's like they, they just didn't know how to do it. And so now this is where we're able to come in and see your point. The silver lining, Ryan, is, is like, number one, this has accelerated our roadmap way beyond what we thought that it could. Right. I mean, we, we had plans in order to kind of get there. But but never with as much focus as we could apply over the last four months, which has been which has been pretty amazing. So I think the focus has allowed us to really accelerate our roadmap. 
um, way faster than what we thought that we could. I think that acceleration idea is going to be a big one. Looking back on all of this, they're probably going to be able to point to so many things that were accelerated. And that, I mean, that just comes back, Zach, to your power of the pivot, to be able to, to be in that moment and, mm -hmm. and handle it and, and move with it. Well, and, you know, I think some people can be afraid of that or um, want to avoid that having that conversation. However, you know, many cases in point here, just in this conversation, there's a lot of power in evolving and responding. Um, and the, the sauce, the secret sauce of how you go about this doing that really depends on your customers. It depends on the company, the people involved, the team dynamic, and and many other things that I'm not even thinking of off the top of my head. But I think the root of that is that there's a beautiful, powerful opportunity anytime that you've got to maybe shift or make a change, pivot, evolve, insert your word. It can be an awesome thing, even in the midst of a terrible event. Um, so I I love hearing that story. I'm I'm, I'm curious. So you've had two mock events inside of Perk. Have have you have you gotten have you given this to some of your customers to try out? Absolutely. Yeah, tomorrow night's our first pilot event. Uh, customers ah. running on the product. So yes, no pressure, no pressure at all on <laughs> it's that. It's going to be yes. great. It's going to be great. But yes, uh, about two weeks ago we started giving access to our customers um, so that they could start using the product um, at the same time. So yeah, it's it's been it's been amazing. I can tell you one of my. One of my lessons learned, and I mean, I know this, right? Like we all know that focus is so important and focus, you know, can help accelerate results, but it's still really easy in the moment to get distracted with, I need to be able to do a little of this and a little of that mm. and a little of this. And so that it kind of, you know, with some focus, I, I can tell you that this has definitely reminded me the power of focus um, mm. and the, and what the power of focus can get done. And sometimes you just have to say no, or just not now and some other things, um, because it will accelerate the things that are really important. So that's one of my lessons that's, learned. Have that's you, a good point. Has there been any difference with maintaining that team focus? Like you said, get to the whiteboard, get everybody around. Like that's pretty easy to do when you're in the office and you can get everybody into a room. Uh, any major, um, lessons learned recently here? <laughs> so on top of everything, not only could we not be together, but our lease was actually expiring in our office. Oh, no. And so, and it was one of those tough decisions, which is like, we don't know when we're going to be able to be back together. And does it make sense to continue to pay all of that money? So we actually decided not to renew our lease. So not, not only did we, could we not get together, but we really couldn't get together because we didn't have that. Now we have some temporary office space up by you guys actually, um, in your design center. Um, so uh, oh, we're... Nice. We're sharing some space in the Indiana Design Center right now um, is um, is where we're at. So sometimes, Zach, we will actually have to be able to catch up. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, the team has been amazing virtually. They they really have done really great. You know, we do we do Zoom calls. Um, you know, we, we've learned to just jump on the call. If things it, we, we love Slack. I don't know about you guys, but we love yep. Slack. But sometimes yep. Slack just doesn't get it done. Right. And um, and so the team has been really great of like if there's something that takes more than a couple of Slacks, they just, you know, let's just hop on a Zoom call and let's just knock it out. Um, and, you know, the whiteboard's been good. We've, we've gotten better about drawing things on, um, you know, paint and, and sharing your screen. Um, we definitely ha have done that. And I definitely miss, I, I miss being together and brainstorming things and whiteboarding. Um, but I have to say the, the team, I, I believe the team just elevated their game 
so much in order to overcome for, uh, overcompensate for that. I mean, if you would have told me four months ago that this is what we would be doing now, I would have never, I would never have guessed. Um, but everybody just has done uh, so much um, in order to be able to get here. On top of all of that, um, you know, obviously we, our revenue relies on in-person events, right? That's where yeah. our revenue comes from. And we haven't had the revenue um, that we expected to have. And sure. so, you know, we definitely went on a reduced hours. Um, the whole company did in order to, mm -hmm. to make, to save, you know, to give us some time, give us some runway in order to not burn too much cash uh, during this time frame. So on top of everything else, the team has been on reduced hours and reduced pay um, during these last four months. So to say, to say we've worked some pretty awesome, we, we've done some pretty awesome stuff is an understatement, I think. So that's awesome. I love hearing that. All right, I've got one last question for you. I've been reading that some conferences, and I would imagine maybe nonprofit events, are considering going virtual for the foreseeable future and not, not even considering coming back in person whenever we get to whatever state of the world that looks like. Um, do you think that, that there are lasting impacts in the nonprofit space that it, you know, you've got this this strike team that's you know uh, initially thought of as temporary, but I wonder, do you think that some of these things are just going to be perpetual, regardless of what our state of the world gets to? Uh, great, great question. Um, so our our temporary team um, is now we've we've realigned our teams because it really was very sure. temporary. Um, so we're we're good. We, we've realigned there and definitely applied the focus. I. I can say that after talking to the nonprofits, I do believe that there are going to be long lasting changes. Um, now, do I think that that means we won't have galas? No, I don't. Sure. But one of, the, one of the really cool things that's happening right now is nonprofits are naturally expanding their supporter and donor database nationally, even if they didn't plan on doing it because they're going online. Uh, so yeah. now, you know, these schools, they now have grandma and grandpa out in California. Um, even if they're an Indiana based um, company. And so, you know, a lot of what we're talking about is why would you shut off that donor base? Why would you stop talking to them when they obviously care about what's going on at that school or, you know, the nonprofit or whatever it might be? So I think that it will forever change and that there will always be either a virtual component or there will be virtual events in addition to the in-person events because they would not want to shut off, um, you know, having grown their, their donor base. Ah, that makes That makes perfect sense. Um, I look forward to, I look forward to being able to go to a, a, a gala again, just to be fair. Yeah. I like getting dressed up and going out, but I, I would imagine there are lasting impacts across the board, not only just in the nonprofit space, but that's, I, that's great that you guys even have the, the foresight to get there and to think about that. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was super fun. This is, this is a really cool story, and there's a lot of things inside of this that it sounds like you have learned, experienced, and I just appreciate it so much that you're willing to share that with us. Thank you so much. It's always great to talk to you, Zach. Ryan, so nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Um, and uh, let me know if I can do, be of any more help. Okay, Zach, you know. Absolutely. I, th I think I owe you a few more. This is probably, I owe you more than Not just this. Not at all. Coffee, <laughs> maybe next time. How's that? Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Well, you have a wonderful rest of your Friday. I hope you're not working too hard this afternoon. I think it's going to be nice outside. So your boys might have, an uh, might have a good afternoon. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. See, See you soon. Bye. Bye.